Well, it's good to be here this morning, Calvary. And as Tom said, uh, it's bittersweet for me. This is my last day at Calvary. And I want to share with you this journey that I've been on over the past couple of years. And I've got to warn you a little bit that uh, some of the things I'm going to say and the stories I'm going to tell are absolutely true, but they're absolutely odd too. Uh, And I consider them, uh, I I never knew that God would deal with me particularly in such a way and so be so clear in his communication and and in the miraculous ways that he organized things to get me uh, to this point, uh, to get me to the point of being willing to leave Calvary and and venture off on a new ministry. It started a couple years ago. I was, I'd gotten up on a Saturday morning. It was early. My family was still in bed and started reading through the book of Genesis. I I was reading actually uh, the story of Joseph, and I was reading with Joseph how he was, uh, God was with him, and uh, he was becoming the head of Potiphar's house, and you read on a little further, a little bit longer, he comes, becomes the head over the land of Egypt under Pharaoh, and the Spirit of God, the only way I know how to explain it is the Spirit of God fell on me in a physically manifested way. Uh, I could tangibly sense his Spirit on me. Uh, it was uh, a glorious yet heavy experience. God spoke to me at least two, maybe three times while I was reading this story, and he said to me in my spirit, just as I've made Joseph the head of uh, Potiphar's house and head over the land, I'm going to make you head over my house. And I was uh, a bit confused as to what that exactly meant. Was I not being the spiritual leader at home that I was supposed to be? Uh, Of course, senior pastor somewhere uh, did cross my mind as well, but I thought about it. I didn't tell, I didn't even tell Kathy about it. It was a personal thing at that time. I needed to pray and think through it. I didn't know how to make sense of it. And so for weeks and I would uh, think about it, pray about it, at times doubt, maybe, you know, maybe I just drank too much coffee and was having some type of uh, reaction to that or, but then God started speaking to me again. And again, it's hard to explain, but it would be a physical manifestation of his spirit on me. And, and then he would, uh, he would point out again that remind me that the head of the household theme, that just like Joseph, you're going to be head of my house. And for example, we were in pastoral staff meeting one day and Jim was teaching the pastors. He was uh, teaching them about how that sometimes, and he's mentioned uh, this on Sunday morning before, sometimes when you're going through a season of life, God will identify a character in the Bible Uh, that he uh, wants you to realize that you're living out, so to speak. And that you can read that character in the Bible and see how that God uh, uh, led him and guided him. And that you can follow in that, in his footsteps or or avoid the things he or she did if they were wrong. And so at the end of this talk, he says, so if you find yourself living in the story, if you find yourself in the story of Moses, live in the story of Moses. If you find yourself in the story of David, live in the story of David. And then I'm sitting to his right and he throws his right arm over and he makes eye contact with me and says, and if you find yourself living in the story of Joseph, live in the story of Joseph. And I'm like, oh goodness, God's told him. (laughs) But he hadn't yet. Perhaps the most miraculous thing that happened, the shocking thing is I came to my office and in my office chair was this book and it was entitled Leading from the Second Chair. It's a book about, uh, primarily about executive pastors who, uh, who God has given them a vision for the future, whether for the church that they're currently at or God has given them a vision, even some of the examples are a vision to become a senior pastor. 
But what's so shocking about it is, is that it follows the storyline of Joseph and weaves Joseph's story in and through of how a pastor should follow that vision and see God materialize it. Just goofy stuff like that. And I later found out Randy Helm put it on my chair. He found it and he didn't know anything about this, but he thought, wow, it looks like a good book Steve might like. And, and it was. But God was, it was almost like a nagging to tell you the truth, because I didn't know exactly what response God wanted me to make. Well, okay, God, I get it. You're saying this head of the household thing, but bring clarity to it. And I began to start to think, okay, maybe it's he's getting me ready to leave Calvary. He wants me to be willing to leave Calvary, and he wants me to be willing to become a senior pastor, either of which I would never have wanted to do. And so one day I'm snow, uh, snow skiing, and I felt, again, that physical manifestation. God's wanting to speak to me again. He's dealing with my heart about this issue. I went into the woods. I pulled off my skis. I sat down. Uh, and I said, okay, God, is this what you're saying? Is this what you're saying that you want me when you want me to be, you're preparing me to be obedient, to say yes, to leave Calvary, and to become a senior pastor one day? If it is, would you just confirm it? Now, this will seem a little odd to some of you, but I played Bible, a Russian Bible roulette. And I grabbed my phone and I pushed the ESV uh, app and I closed my eyes and I scrolled through the books of the Bible and I pushed on them and I scrolled through the chapters of the Bible and I pushed on them and this is what I read. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And so I closed it up and I said, okay, God, I, I won't doubt it. I got it. Come get me when you want me. Continue to uh, enjoy my vacation. And I had relative peace after that. Joseph's dad, Jacob, uh, has experienced uh, a, a similar experience in chapter 28 of Genesis as God had given me a glimpse of the future, of something that's coming down the pike, he also has given Jacob a vision of his future. Verse 12, he says, Jacob, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The first thing I want to point out this morning is that God loves to give us promises. He loves to give us glimpses of the hope that we have in the future, but not just any promise. He loves to give you promises that seem absolutely impossible, that seem like that, that you realize that only he could materialize it, that only he could do it. Think about in the Old Testament, Moses, God says, you're going you're to go to Pharaoh and you're going to declare my people free. And Moses says, I can't speak. Most people think he had a stuttering problem or something, but he's so, I can't do that, God. Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah says, do you know how old I am? Most people think he was around 20, 21. 
And he too, he said, I'm slow in speech. Gideon, God, uh, angel of the Lord comes and says, you're a mighty warrior. Gideon says, are you kidding me? I'm in the weakest clan there is in Israel, and I'm the weakest in this weakest clan. God says, well, you're going to be the leader of the army and free Israel. Not just the Old Testament, the New Testament, Peter, Paul, John, they all saw dreams, visions, they all saw the future. God all spoke to their hearts and told them, this is what's going to happen, and here's your individual part in it. God loves to give promises that seem impossible. Jacob, the cheater, the liar, remember where he is right now. He's on the run when God gives him this promise. He had stolen his brother Esau's birthright. He had lied to his father and had cheated Esau out of uh, the firstborn blessing. Esau is committed to killing Jacob and their mom sends Jacob off and says, run, Esau's gonna kill you, go, flee. Jacob, the liar, the cheater, and yet God speaks to him and says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take you back to your home. I'm going to bless you, bless you. I'm going to bless your offspring. This is Jacob's response, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. What's he doing here? He's committing. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher in the 1800s, he said, anytime God gives you a promise, anytime God, one of the promises in scripture, or God drops a promise in your heart, he says, always make a commitment. Always step out in faith. Make an action that demonstrates to God, okay, I'll take you at your word. I'll believe you for it. Jacob, he's committing. He's, he's saying, okay, God, as you bless me, I'll give you a tenth of everything you give me. And I'm going to start the journey back to my homeland now. Believing, believing your word. I knew after leaving those woods that I, I needed to commit. So I s- decided to tell Jim, Samra, my boss. And it's not an easy thing telling your boss that you're going to be leaving, but you don't know when and you don't know where you're going. But I felt like God wanted me to. I wanted to be upfront with him. And after he got over the initial shock, he was very supportive. And he's walked this, uh, this season of life with me for quite some time now. But I read of a woman once who, God, uh, she couldn't have a child. And she felt like God spoke to her and says, you're going to be a mother one day. So she decided to get the room ready. She got the nursery ready. She painted the walls. She bought a crib. And it wasn't very long until through an unlikely set of circumstances, she did indeed become a mother through adoption. Commit. When God gives you a promise, when he highlights a promise in scripture, when he speaks to your heart about something that he's going to materialize for you in the future, take a step of action. Mark Batterson puts it this way. He says, when we act in faith, we aren't risking our reputation. We're risking God's reputation because he's the one who made the promise in the first place. But if we aren't willing to risk our reputation, we'll never establish God's reputation. We'll never experience miracles. There are times when you need to do whatever it takes. You need to do something crazy, something risky, something different. Now, I'm not talking about a name it, claim it gospel here. I'm not talking about what you often hear on TV, that you can name and claim your your desires and your wishes. I'm talking about when God gives you a promise and he reveals something to you through his word, through others. 
to step out. When God's promises seem threatened by the impossible, commit by taking an action that demonstrates your belief. Malachi 3.10 says, try me and see if I will not pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. Step out in faith and obedience and believe. Step out on the water. Well, as I said, after that experience in the woods where God confirmed that he did indeed want me to be ready to leave Calvary and to become a senior pastor, I had relative peace and God for several, several months, didn't, I didn't hear anything much, except I did have this particular dream that at the time I had no idea related to this. Kathy and I, my wife, we were, uh, in my dream, we were in this beautiful, beautiful house with beautiful rooms. Uh, and one particular room had, distinctly had a white couch in it. And I remember thinking, man, this is the most beautiful house I have ever, ever seen. And then we walked outside, and while the exterior of the house was beautiful, the outside, the, the, the neighborhood was a complete mess. There was trash on the ground. There were bars on windows. We walked down the street. There were houses boarded up. And I thought to myself, my goodness, the most beautiful house I've ever seen in a mess of a neighborhood. I woke up, and I, I knew it was a, I felt like it was a spiritual dream, but I had no idea what it meant. I didn't tie it in with head of the household at all. Prayed about it a little bit, but several weeks later, Joy, my uh, administrative assistant, comes into my office and she says, said, Steve, do you, uh, do you know that you have an appointment with Wellspring Church in a few weeks? And I said, yeah, I, I, they, I was asked to meet with them. It, it's not unusual for churches uh, to call Calvary and, and ask for help and ask for wisdom. And Calvary has a long history of doing things very, very well. So that's not unusual for, especially in my position, to talk to other churches and help them. And she said, do you know what it's about? And I said, I don't particularly know what it's about. And she said, well, she said, uh, they've been through a struggle. She said, they, they no longer have a senior pastor through a set of really mis, uh, uh, some unfortunate circumstances. And she said, have you ever been there? And I said, I've never even heard of the place. And she said, it is the most beautiful building you've ever seen, but it sure isn't a mess. And I remembered my dream. And I remembered, I told the Lord, come get me. I thought they're coming to get me. <laughs> so Kathy and I, by that time, of course, I told my wife, and by that, we started praying and fasting leading up to the meeting. I just knew I was going to go into that meeting and, you know, something miraculous was going to happen. There's going to be a light shine down on me and God was going to speak from the heavens. Here's your new pastor, you know, or something. But just the opposite happened. I, I went to the meeting and all they could talk about was this guy named John. We're going to call him John this morning. But they said, John is, we feel like John is the guy that God wants us. And we've, we've contacted him and he seems excited about it. And they're just so excited about John. I left the meeting. I, my bubble was burst. I was discouraged. I began doubting. I began wondering, did I hear God? Did, what was that all about? And but I had another dream during that time. Kathy and I were uh, visiting the city together. We were just together by ourselves. And we saw in the news one night where a young boy had gotten out of his school and was wandering around the city. Uh, and the city was searching for him and the police were searching for him. And so Kathy and I obviously prayed for him. And that night I, I dreamt that I saw this boy on the side, on the bank of a river. I just saw him in my mind. I can mentally see it now, this boy on the side of a river. And I woke up the next 
morning and I told Kathy, I said, boy, I had a weird dream where I saw that boy on the side of the river and we thought, wow, that's really strange. But we prayed again for him. We'd been praying for him and came back to Grand Rapids and hadn't thought much about it. But one day I saw on the news that, reading the news on my phone and I saw, they found the boy. Thankfully, they found the boy. Where did they find him? On the bank of a river, down by a river. And I was beside myself. I was like, what in this world? Again, not attaching it to the head of the household theme at all. And it was a Friday here at work and there's, there's, there's not many staff members on Fridays because they work Sundays and I called my wife. She said, you need to find somebody there to pray with. And so I actually went down to the missions department and found Sharon Kaiser and she works in missions and Sharon's known for having the gift of discernment and I explained to her, I said, look at this. I had this dream and what could that mean? And she said, well, Steve, I don't know exactly what it means, but I will say this. In my spirit, I sense that it means that just as that dream came true, there's something else God has told you that you need to believe him for, that you're not believing him for. Sharon had no idea. Uh, Sharon had no idea. I told my wife, I told an accountability partner, neither of those who talked to Sharon. Jim at that point didn't know about Wellspring. He knew that I was called a senior pastor, but I was waiting. She had no idea. So I left there and of course I went to prayer and I didn't necessarily hear God say anything, but I thought, boy, that would make sense. If God's saying, hold on to the dream, hold on to this dream about Wellspring. That was a Friday, Monday morning, Sharon popped her head in my office and said, Steve, did you, did you talk to God? Did you hear anything? And I said, I'm not sure he told me anything, but I said, it does make sense. There is something that I felt like he told me that I need to believe him for. So thank you. And then it hit me. How in the world would she know to lead me in that direction? How would she know to tell me to pray in that manner? And so she, I asked her. And so she came in my office, she shut the door and she said, okay, Steve, Several months ago, I felt like, and I won't go into all the detail for the time's sake, but for the for time's sake, but she said, I felt like that God told me that there's a pastor at Calvary that needed to go be a pastor at Wellspring Church and help the struggling church out. And she said, I thought it was Tom Olson. And then she said, I heard you preach a couple months ago on Sunday morning. And in the in, when I was sitting there in the congregation, I felt like God said, No, it's Steve. Steve's supposed to go to, she says, I don't know if he's talked to you or I don't know if he's impressed this upon you. And I'm like, he has, he has. (laughs) I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but God is my witness. It's the truth. My faith obviously came back and I'm getting some energy. And so I started following John. Now I, I, I know John, I hadn't talked to him in a while, but I start texting him, you know, I'm trying to get information because I want to know what's going on with this candidating process with him. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, let John back out, let him get out of the picture and then I'll tell Jim Samra and I'll uh, be a candidate. I'll put my name as a candidate. So I'm texting John and it was funny because at one point, he didn't say these words, but this is basically what he said. Steve, why have you all of a sudden become uh, so interested in my life? (laughs) (laughs) But he was jumping through all the hoops. They were excited. He was seemingly excited. And it was just moving along very, very quickly. And it looked like that God's promises, that what God had said. I mean, I was at that point, 
I was absolutely convinced. It's what God said. It's what he wants. But it looked like his promises were being threatened. Chapter 32 of Genesis, Jacob finds out he's on his way home. He's, he's committing to God. He's going back. He finds out Esau isn't going to wait for him to get there. Esau's coming to meet him. Uh, and Esau's not alone. The text tells us that Esau has 400 men with him. Jacob, uh, Jacob gets scared. Verse 7, Jacob say, it says that Jacob was in great fear and distress. And then he begins to pray in verse 9. Notice how he starts his prayer. He says, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. Notice, notice what he does there. He reminds God, God, this was your idea. It wasn't mine. I was on the run. You said stop and go back. You said you would protect me. You said you would bless my offspring. How are you going to bless me when I'm dead, God? He remembers that God made the promise and he reminds God, God, it was your, your idea. I was praying and as I was seeing that John was continuously excited, I'm like, God, how in the world am I ever going to become the senior pastor of Wellspring when they don't even know I'm a candidate, right? There's three of us at this point that know God, well, four counting you, but how's it going to happen? Then I began thinking, uh-oh, what did God tell me in the woods? He said in the woods, if you walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house. That, that sounds like a condition. I began thinking, uh-oh, I've sinned one too many times. Uh, the, all the bets off, the deal's off. I've been evaluating my life and God, is, is, that, what, is that what it is? Is that I'm, I'm not worthy and this is where Jacob takes it to verse 9. He says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. But then look at this. He says, but I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan. But now I have become two camps. What's he doing there? He's saying, God, yeah, I am unworthy. But I was unworthy before you gave me the promise. I am unworthy, but you've been blessing me in my unworthiness. I had nothing. Now I have lots because of you. And he finds his courage to pray bolder. You know, Satan, one of the tricks of Satan is he'll try to discourage you. He'll try to bring past sins up. He'll try to, uh, he's the accuser of the brethren, right? He'll, he'll try to accuse you and say, God can't use you. Uh, you've sinned one too many times. You, you're, you're disqualified. It's Satan. But you know, God allows it. And you know why I think God allows it? God loves to pull back the, the curtains of our heart. He loves to expose the depravity that's still in us. Why? Because when he does fulfill his promise, he doesn't want us to think that this has anything to do with us or anything to do with our whole own holiness or our abilities he wants us to know it's everything to do with him. Jacob says, I am a sinner, God, but you've blessed me then, and I know you're going to bless me now. So he gets bold. He starts praying in verse 11. He says, save me, I pray. It's, a, it's written in the imperative, a command, save me from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me 
and also the mothers with their children. Save me. It's okay to pray boldly to God for things that's his will. There's, there's a prayer. There's one prayer that Jesus told his disciples that he guarantees will always be answered. And that's a prayer that's glorifying to God. Jacob reminds God, this is your idea. And so he boldly prays, God, make it happen. Make it happen. When God's promises seem threatened, keep praying them through. Keep praying them through. Kathy and I, we started fasting and praying, and I didn't know it at the time, but Kathy was saying, Lord, if it is true that Steve's supposed to be the senior pastor of Wellspring, let John just lack peace. Let him just lack a, a ton of peace. I think prayer is the highest form of expressing our faith because what we're doing when we're praying to God is we're declaring our inabilities and, and proclaiming his abilities. We're, we're, we're declaring our inadequacies and proclaiming his adequacies, our weaknesses and his power. God's given many of you promises. He's given you hopes for the future, glimmers of what he wants to do in and through you, of how he's going to save your children, of how he's going to give you that new job, of of things, of callings that he's got in your life. Hold on to God. Believe him for him. Pray, pray it through. In verse 12, notice how Jacob ends his prayer. He ends it the way he started it. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Again, he's reminding God, This was your idea. God loves, there's something about our God that he loves to be chased. He loves to be sought after. Like a a, a bridegroom chases his wife. God wants to be chased. And he doesn't mind us holding him to his promises. We've talked about this before. Uh, King David, he did this all the time in Psalms and Particularly here in, in 2 Samuel 7, David has been given a, a word from God and God has told him he's going to bless his future. And there's something that's happening that's threatening God's promises. And this is David's prayer. He says, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be forever great. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer, sovereign Lord, O God. Four times, four times in that passage, he reminds God, you have said. And then at the end of it, he says, this is why I have courage to pray so boldly, God. I have courage to pray so boldly. Because you've revealed your will and you want your will to be accomplished. Your will is what you desire. So I'm going to pray. Timothy 2.13 says that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. What does that mean? It means God fulfilling his promise isn't based on our character. It's based on the character of God, and the character of God is 110% faithful. God never fails. His very essence requires that he fulfill his promises. When God's promises seem threatened, remind him that they're his. 
Well, I honestly don't remember how I got the message. Uh, it was such an emotional time, but I got the message that the church wellspring had offered John the position and John had taken it. I found out later the, co- the congregation hadn't voted yet, but, but it was a, that's the message I got. And I, I, I was just oh, devastated. I mean, I was, what in the world? Do I even know God? Am I even a Christian? Do, can I even hear him? Do I have any discernment whatsoever? What is, what's up with Sharon? <laughs> <laughs> She's right here. I had to do that to her. <laughs> she came to my office and, and she said, uh, well, did you hear anything? And I said, yes, I heard something. John's the pastor at Wellspring. She said, nah. And I said, yes, he is. He accepted it. And she said, Steve, I'm telling you, don't give up faith. Even if he is, it won't last long. (laughs) And I said, Sharon, get a hold of reality. We We were wrong. Kathy and I were getting ready to visit her relatives in Florida. And so I was, I just wanted to go down there and just let it, just leave, leave it back in Michigan and just have a good time. And of course I couldn't. I wrestled, I wrestled, I tossed, I turned. What God makes sense of it. What, what's going on here? God, I, I know you. I, my faith in you isn't shaken. But how did all this communication, how did I, I lost my faith that God had spoke to me, that God was going to do it. Chapter 33, 32 says that, Esau is one day's away. Jacob is starting to take matters in his own hands. He sends his servants, he sends hundreds of, of animals, and he, he tells his servants, go ahead and go ahead and take these to Esau. Go in front of me. And verse uh, 20 says, uh, for he thought. I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Sometimes when we, we lose faith, we start taking matters into our own hands, don't we? We start trying to work the angles. We start making the telephone calls. We start trying to defend ourselves. We, why can't we just rest? Believing God, believing his promise, regardless of what the exterior looks like, it's hard sometimes. Jacob, that night, he, 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 he starts wrestling with God. He, he knows, like me, he, he knows God's spoken to him, but man, he doesn't know exactly what he said. He doesn't know, is God going to be faithful? And we have Jacob in the infamous wrestling match, and uh, it was actually a physical uh, wrestling match. We don't know if it was actually God uh, in the form of a man or if it was a a celestial being, but spiritually speaking, he was wrestling with God. The man says to him, Jacob, let me go. And Jacob says, I'll not let you go till you bless me. You're you're all I have. It's what the disciples told Jesus, right? When the disciples were leaving, you're all I have. Where else are we going to go? 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. God was saying, okay, Jacob, I'm going to tell you one more time, and this time I'm going to really commit. 
I've told you the land's yours. I told you I'm going to bless your offspring. I told you I was going to protect you. We're just going to go ahead and name that land. We're going to go ahead and name that offspring. And I'm going to name you so you never forget it. Israel. I'll do it. When God's promises seem threatened, hold on to God. Even though we don't understand Him, even though it can be chaotic all around us, hold on to the promises that God has given you. He will come through. It doesn't matter how it looks. God cannot be not faithful. He's always faithful. Hold on to God. Chapter 33, starting in verse 1, Jacob looked up and there was Esau. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He, He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these hundreds of cows that you sent in front of you? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But look at this. But Esau said, I already have plenty. God is working behind the scenes. He's working in ways that you cannot even imagine. He's assured you that your children are going to be saved. He's going to save them. He's working. He's working on their hearts in ways that you can't ever imagine. Keep holding on to God. He's assured you that you have a hope, a future, that he has a calling for you, that he has a purpose for you. Hold on to God regardless of what it looks like. He always, he always, he always comes through. I uh, got back from vacation, started doing my work emails, and noticed Wellspring had emailed me. Of course, it was the first one I opened. <laughs> I said, Steve, I don't know if you've, if you've heard this or not, but John's backed out. Uh, can you preach Sunday? <laughs> we need a preacher. <laughs> I fell, I was standing by the couch. I I plopped and fell down on the couch and my wife, Kathy, comes in and said, what is wrong with you? I said, I'm emotionally exhausted, all right. (laughs) God never fails. I I went up immediately to my room and I called John. I said, what in the world? What in the world? He said, Steve, I can't explain it. I remember my wife's praying. He said, Steve, I can't explain it. Ever since... I accepted the job for an entire week. I couldn't sleep. I lacked peace. He said, I didn't even tell my wife until uh, about a week later. And I told her she went to prayer. She lacked peace. He said, I, I can't explain it, but I just had to, I had to drop out. Of course, he was very excited when I told him, because I'm the one that's supposed to be it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been in the process with, with Wellspring for some time since May and candidating. and This church is the most beautiful church in terms of ornateness that I've ever seen. It has multiple, multiple rooms. And even a room with a distinct white couch in it is my dream that I had way back when that God materialized it. God never, ever, ever fails. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, Hold on to the promises of God. Whatever anxiety you have in the future, let him speak primarily through his word. He speaks promises. 
He comforts us. He gives us glimmers of hope for the future that we can hold on to, that we can wrestle with him about, that we can chase him. He never fails. Let's pray. We are so thankful, Father, that we serve a God that never fails. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, there's many here this morning in various, uh, in various seasons of lives, various places in their walk with you, Lord, but we all live this life down here, God. We, we're all depraved, Lord. We're, we're sinful, sinful. We all face daily challenges of life, God. In our heart of hearts, we want to do what you want us to do. In our heart of hearts, we want to believe and stand on the promises of your word. But sometimes, God, forgive us, but sometimes it's hard. And sometimes we fail you. But that you would love us in the midst of that doubt, in the midst of that failure, is all the more glorious. And makes us all the more want to shout, we love you. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for this incredible church that you've built and that you've sustained through all these years. In Jesus Christ's name.